Wow. What a gift. Thank you so much. Friends, let us pray. Lord, not my words, but yours. Not our thoughts, but yours. Not our truth, but yours. So as we gather here, us before you, train our hearts and our minds to put you before us. This we pray in the name of our rock and our redeemer, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Our scripture passages for today come from the gospel according to Matthew chapter 25 and the gospel according to Luke chapter 10. In holding these two texts in conversation with each other, I'm going to read them consecutively, but please note that they are not sequential in scripture. As I read these texts, I also invite you to engage in a practice known as imaginative prayer, a practice that our community groups have been engaging throughout Lent. Instead of just listening to the readings, get involved with the story by imagining yourself present in them, picturing the scene, noticing the sounds and the smells, and paying attention to the emotions that the text evokes. So hear now God's word for you today as it comes to us from Matthew 25 and Luke 10. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly, I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, the lawyer asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. 
Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Now, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This Lent, we here at First Press have been asking ourselves a very basic question of faith. Why Jesus? It's a short and seemingly simple question that comes along with it a host of other questions. Questions like, why are you here this morning? Why do you call yourselves a Christian? Why are you a part of this church? Why this faith and not another faith or no faith? Why is Jesus important to you, special to you, sacred to you? Why is Jesus good news for you and her and him and the rest of humanity? Why Jesus? The first two weeks of this series and our journey of Lent, we delved into a few of the divine aspects of Jesus's identity. Why Jesus? Well, because Jesus is the son of the living God. Jesus is the one who heals. But that is only half the story. Because as our Christian confessions remind us, Jesus is not only the son of God, Jesus is the son of man. Fully divine and fully human. Powerful enough to save and yet powerless enough to suffer. But the question remains, why is that a good thing? Why is Jesus's humanity important? Other than being half of a completely illogical mathematical formula, why do we proudly proclaim that Jesus is just like us? Well, for one thing, as Cece said, it makes him an accessible teacher and model to follow in our own lives. Yes, he is not limited to history, but he can be found there. After all, Jesus, the son of the living God, was also born at a specific time in a specific place to a specific community, which means his humanity is neither neutral nor generic, unrelatable nor inaccessible. In being both human and divine, Jesus claims the particulars of our mortal lives and experience and calls them good. But lest we get carried away with the notion of just how significant our individual stories are, it is important to remember that these specifics do not exist to set us apart from one another, but rather they are meant to gather us in. The diverse children of one God, living side by side with those who look like us and those who don't, those who think like us and those who don't, those who relate to us and those who don't. After all, to be human 
is to be someone's neighbor. But as we are all well aware, that is not an easy or simple notion. As much as we like that idea in, in theory, we so often get tripped up on how to put it into practice. And just like the lawyer in Luke 10, we make things complicated. Scripture tells us, just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And in typical Jesus fashion, instead of answering the lawyer's question, he turns it back on him. Back and forth, a tit-for-tat exchange about the law and loving God and loving your neighbor. All pretty straightforward. That is until verse 29. As one participant in this week's Lunch and Lent Bible study noted, in this verse, we get something we don't see all that much in Scripture. Subtext. So often we are left to wonder, why did this character do this or say that? What, what exactly were they thinking? Well, in the case of the lawyer in Luke 10, we actually know. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? As professor of New Testament Stanley Saunders notes, defining the neighbor inevitably narrows the focus. This one, not that one. Jews, not Samaritans. Judeans, not Galileans. Protestants, not Catholics. Republicans, not Democrats. His inquiry is focused neither on God nor the neighbor, as the commandments require, but on himself. In other words, even in a conversation about how to honor the other, the lawyer makes it about himself. Well, we all know what happens next. Jesus drops the story to end all stories. The story of a man that has been beaten, stripped naked, and left for dead on the side of the road. And the kind of people you would expect to help this poor man, a priest and a Levite, upon seeing him cross to the other side of the road and just walk on by. In this case, we are not given subtext, so we don't know why they did this. Jesus doesn't furnish us with a laundry list of completely understandable reasons or excuses as to why they didn't stop and help, probably because they don't matter. There will always be reasons and excuses. But when someone is dying on the side of the road, none of them matter. But as the story goes, a Samaritan man, the last person Jesus' audience would expect to do the good or the righteous thing, does what the others did not. He stops. He doesn't hail down the next passing stranger to help him out. He doesn't look for a nearby priest or Levite to take over. He doesn't send a strongly worded letter to the town official in charge of this dangerous road or even donate a few coins to this man's recovery fund. He stops. He gets close to the man's broken body. He uses his oil and his wine and his hands to clean this man's wounds. He puts him on his animal. He watches over him the entire night. He foots the man's entire bill. And he even comes back a few days later to make sure that he is okay. Now, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? I find it fascinating that not only did Jesus not answer the lawyer's question, 
But by the end of our story, he changes it. He flips it. He reverses it. Instead of asking the lawyer his own question, so who is your neighbor, Jesus says, who was a neighbor to the man in need? And in doing so, Jesus makes the person in need, the man on the side of the road, inevitable. He is the focal point. He is the one all of our stories revolve around, not the Good Samaritan. Because the Good Samaritan and even the priest and the Levite are variable. They come and they go. But the man on the side of the road, well, he is always with us. Because the suffering are always with us. They are what matters in this story. They are who Jesus cares about. They are inevitable. Now this is where Jesus' humanity comes back into play because in his humanity, Jesus not only shows us his heart for the Good Samaritan, more importantly, he shows us his heart for the man on the side of the road. Don't forget our Jesus, our God, knows what it's like to be beaten and left for dead. Don't forget our Jesus, our God, knows what it's like to be abandoned and alone. And by bringing the heights of his divinity right next to the depths of our humanity, Jesus flips the script yet again. Now let me explain. You see, most of the times, we immediately assume that the point of these kinds of stories is to teach us how to be more Christ-like in our thoughts and our actions. And to be fair, that is often the point. And so we quickly And so we quickly associate ourselves with characters like the lawyer or the priest or the Levite or even the Good Samaritan. We embrace the guilt of our inaction and we vow to do better, to be better. But Jesus was more than just some really good moral teacher sent to earth to make us nicer people, kinder neighbors, even Good Samaritans. And taking on the form of a man, Jesus descends to the depths of human existence and calls it his own. Just look at Matthew 25, where Jesus makes it quite clear that when you center your neighbor instead of centering yourself, you center Jesus. When you are less concerned about your fate and more concerned about the fate of the broken, you honor Jesus. When you spend less time worrying about how to be a good neighbor and more time actually looking for your neighbor, you bless Jesus. Because whatever you do to the least of these, you do to him. A profound theological truth that was made powerfully real to me this past week. You see, this past Tuesday, I woke to a story in the news of a 67-year-old Asian woman in New York City who was hit in the head 125 times. Her broken body stomped on seven times while being spit on and called racial slurs. A day later, I watched as Ukrainian President 
Vladimir Zelensky addressed the United States Congress pleading on behalf of his war-torn country, the millions of refugees who have fled for their lives, the thousands upon thousands of soldiers and civilians who have already lost their lives, and the countless more who fear the same fate. And then on Thursday, I read a story about Amber Briggle, a mother of two in Texas, who is being investigated by Child Protective Services for providing gender-affirming care to her 14-year-old transgender son and is now in danger of losing both of her children. And these are just the stories that happen to be on the front page of the news this past week. Because as we are well aware, Race-based violence does not just afflict people of Asian descent. Millions of refugees have been fleeing countries for decades now from countries like, Af like Afghanistan, Syria, South Sudan, and Ethiopia, just to name a few. People of every race, gender, sexuality, and nationality suffer every single day from housing and food insecurity, mental illness and addiction, disease and depression, chronic pain and suffering. And to each and every one of these people, Jesus says, I see you. I hear you. I am with you. And he calls us to do the same. But we make it so much more complicated than it needs to be. If we look back on Luke 10, we see that the only character we are given zero specifics about is the man on the side of the road. We are not told his race or his station or his occupation. Why? Because none of those specifics should matter to those of us who are in a position to help. After all, no one group of people has a monopoly on suffering. And as we see in both of our passages for today, it is actually not up to us to figure out who deserves our compassion the most, who has had it the hardest, who merits our pity. And on top of all of that, we don't even have to go out of our way to find a neighbor in need. The suffering is all around us. They aren't just faces on the news, they are right outside our front door, inside our schools and our offices and our homes, inside our church. They are inevitable. The variable is us. But in his infinite mercy, Jesus doesn't leave our salvation, earthly or eternal, to chance. Because in his humanity, Jesus joins with us, calls us, and inspires us to pay attention to center the stories of those who are suffering, to lift up the needs that are present all around us so that we can and will do as Jesus would do and respond in compassion and love. But just because it's not complicated doesn't mean it won't cost us something. It will. Like the Good Samaritan, loving our neighbor will cost us our time. It will cost us our treasure, it will cost us our comfort, our priorities, our schedule, our needs, our wants. It will cost us our very sense of self. But friends, if it is Jesus that we are seeking, then that is where we will find him. With the hungry, the thirsty, the naked, the estranged, the sick and left for dead on the side of the road. 
as it is said, whatever we do to the least of these, we do to our Lord Jesus Christ. So why Jesus? Why do we love, worship, follow this God, this man? Because he's human. And in his humanity, Jesus not only shows us how to live, but assures us that he is with us when we suffer, getting as close as he possibly can so that we know that we are not alone. To those who feel invisible to the world, Jesus says, I see you. To those whose cries so often go ignored, Jesus says, I hear you. And to those who have been beaten, stripped, and left for dead on the side of the road, Jesus says, I am right there with you now and to the very end of the age. All thanks be to God. Amen.